0: From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett.
1: Thank you for downloading this podcast. This is episode 273 of the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. My name is Rob White. Sorry to be delaying you in some episodes. It's a little crazy here right now. My days have gotten super busy with guiding. There's a lot of clients who want to get out and fish just to get away from their families and get out of the house. They also just want to go fishing. The weather's been nice. The water's been clear. It has not been too hot this summer. We're putting people on fish Four, five, six days a week right now. Just getting the boat ready for the morning. And then I've got a client group on Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe Thursday. So I'm super busy. There's no summer camp and there's no swim team. So my kid is home all day while the wife is working from home. So I have to keep her entertained and out of trouble. So things are a little crazy. And we don't know even if school is going to happen in person in the fall. School here in Fairfax County may be mostly done online at home with the students maybe going in one day a week. So I'm not sure what my life and schedule are going to look like in two months from now. So we'll see. But in this episode, I'm going to talk about my life and working with tides. In my earlier title podcast, I explained that I would written, I explained that I had written a PowerPoint presentation for my daughter's class when they were learning about the moons and phases and as someone that works with water and based on the moons and tides I thought well this would be a great podcast so I put some extra information in a little bit more and I'm going to now read you my thoughts on what it's like being somebody whose job depends on certain environmental conditions so this is about me fishing professionally and recreationally. I have to choose where to fish with clients or for fun based on the criteria I'm going to talk about in the next 30 minutes or so. I also have to choose when to fish based on those criteria. I have to cross-reference tide charts on my phone and I have to look at the tides and barometer on my watch. I need to pay attention to the weather several days out. I have to watch water levels to know what the water going into tidal bodies of water is going to look like. I have to get up in the morning and watch the wind. We used to have a lot of bamboo in our backyard, which is thankfully gone. Not all the way. It's taken me five years to get most of it done. I used to be able to watch those grassy lengths of bamboo blowing in the wind. And if they were blowing and bending over, I knew straight up that day was not going to be fishable. I also will watch... Toys in the backyard. If there are beach balls blowing all around, or if there's trash cans in the road on Kristen Lane, we're not going out. I also have to watch the moon phases to see when highs and lows are best, whether it's going to be spring tides, full moons, etc. And I mentioned before, this is very stressful for me. I'm going to make money or I'm not going to make money based on environmental factors. So there are several days out of the year where I just cannot bring any money home because of the weather. Now somebody who works in an office or retail store or another establishment, they may not be based on the weather as much. My wife can do her job regardless of wind moons and tides. So it's stressful for me when I cannot physically bring some cash into the house. So my stresses are, will there be any water on this day? We're choosing to fish. Will there be fish there? on that specific day in those specific hours? Will there be too much water or too little water? Can we safely navigate through these tidal waters or can we wade through them safely? Small clients may fill their waders. Can my clients cast in the wind? How choppy is that water? Clients may get seasick or water might just splash up into their waders. Most of the time, we're going to be wearing waders just due to the nature of the water here. There's a lot of bacteria and just gross stuff that you don't want to be in our water. Remember, the Potomac River is very well known for its intersex species. Where there's so much estrogen in the water from bovine hormones and human birth control that all the male fish in our river have eggs in them. I don't want to be standing in that water. I've put on enough weight in these last couple of weeks that I probably... Already have breast assists. But our pool is finally gonna open up on July 20th, so I need to lose some of this weight. Will I be able to maintain the boat's course and safely maintain a boat with an outboard or by rowing if it's too windy or if the tide is too high or low? When the tide drops in the winter, it freezes over. Is it gonna be too icy for my clients? Are they wearing the right type of shoes? Do they have cleats where they can walk across the ice? And do the ideal tides for fishing meet mine and my clients' schedules where we can both be free to go out at a specific time in a narrow window when fishing is going to be optimal? And those times are things that you have to learn by trial and error and going out. I'm out enough over the years in certain locations that I can predict Location A, B, C, D, and E up and down a river based on the tides, water levels, winds, etc. And then I have to hopefully predict and prognosticate if that date will work. So my job in tides, in this podcast, I'm going to talk about the rivers I fish, when to fish, why fish tides, full moons, high tides and flood tides, slack tides, outgoing or ebb tides, low tide, wind and low tide, moving tides, coastal floods, my fly choices, and gear. And then I'm going to mention that my Etsy site has my canyards for sale. It's a logoed Snow White Damsel. And it says, fly fishing consultant with Rob Snow in and Chartreuse. And it's got a lanyard you can wear around your neck. So if you don't want to put a beer or a club soda in there, you can put a little box of flies, your cigarettes and lighter, Whatever you want, but it allows you to fish, tie flies, play cornhole, mow the lawn, row a boat, whatever you want to do and be hands-free with your cold cerveza. So the Potomac River is my main fishery. Other than that, I may go down to the Rappahannock to fish for fun or to guide clients and then we'll fish tributaries on shore and tidal waters up and down the Potomac. The tidal section goes up physically, geographically now to Little Falls. It's a man-made breakwater for a water intake for Washington, D.C. The tide in Washington, D.C., on average, goes up and down three feet every six hours. So high tide comes in, it goes up three feet, and then you have a slack tide, and then you have outgoing tide, and it goes up and down three feet. Now, there were people on Saturday, 16 of them, who were caught At the mouth of Pimmit Run, when the river was already going up from recent heavy rains, and then we had a flash flood warning, and everyone's smartphone here should go off when there's a flash flood warning, and then a massive thunderstorm. And that little crystal clear creek, Pimmit Run, went up about six feet in a very short amount of time. And I can put a link up there to the footage of the police on Chain Bridge filming the water rescue. And people were in the trees. There was no land left. Maybe a couple rocks sticking out. Things you need to pay attention to. The salinity of the river also goes up and down based on precipitation. However, that does not really affect our fishing. On a saltier river, we may get blue crabs and redfish up here. And maybe the sharks and dolphins come up a little higher. But up here in the city, at the top of the tidal section, it doesn't really change our catch rate and what we're going to catch. So the river basically below little falls is brackish or salt water considered tidal. And then the lower Potomac is below the Route three something bridge. These fish that we're targeting can be residential or they can swim to and from the ocean. These are sturgeon, herrings, striped bass, perch, gar, needlefish, redfish, And anything else that wants to commute between the Chesapeake Bay and the river. So you never know what may bite your fly. Recently, I had clients out on the boat and the wife hooked into something and it was pulling the rod out of her hands. And then she handed the rod to me. And if I didn't have the anchor down, this fish would have pulled us. I was unable to fight this fish on a six weight and eventually popped off. Had no idea what it was. So, when to fish? Most of my trips are based on tides and when they move. If we're fishing an inland lake, say Burke Lake, or we're doing an intro classic Cook Lake, don't have to worry about the tides at all. It's super easy, less stressful. But if we're fishing tidal water, for anything from shad to stripers to just snakeheads and sunfish and basses that live in these waters, got to base it on the tides and when they move clients usually assume that we are going to fish at first light in the morning and I have to correct them and educate them, which is part of my job that fishing here is not always based on an early morning start when fish are more active because there might not be any fish there because there's no water in that particular spot. So this allows me to guide more than one group a day on a moving tide on Saturday morning. I have a group from nine thirty to 1130 at an inland pond. And then in the afternoon, I'm bringing three pairs of waders and I'm taking my clients waiting an hour after high tide. When the water starts to move out for a three hour trip, that'll give us without a windy day, ample opportunity to catch fish on a moving tide. Additionally, aligning dusk and or precipitation with moving tides allows for optimal conditions. Last year, I booked clients in January for a spring trip. And I said in my email, let's keep our fingers crossed that it's a little drizzling overcast. It turned out that day was drizzling overcast and we got stripers, crappy and largemouth. All were exceptionally large fish. Another question is, do my clients even have waders? Most of them don't. So I have to provide waders. If we are going to be fishing and wading in certain spots, there are more spots that we cannot wade then we can wade around here. At least that are in my jurisdiction for guiding. So why fish a tide? Why fish a tide? Well, food is on the move. A fish merely has to stay in one place in that current and keep its mouth open and food's going to come to it. Sort of like trout in a stream with midges or caddis drifting by. Food is coming to them. Or they're going to chase the food that is eating smaller particles. So you may have midge larvae. Scuds, crust bugs, mosquito larva washing out in the outgoing tide. And then the minnows or baby shad are going to feed on those. And then the larger stripers, smallmouth and largemouth, or walleye, may feed on those minnows eating the smaller stuff. If you think about that picture of it's like a fly inside of a frog, inside of a bird, inside of a larger bird kind of thing. There's more current to hold in place. Additionally, some fish like stripers prefer to feed on that fast water, whereas they're not going to be feeding when the water is slower. They're going to wait for that food to start coming to them. They're built to stay in place in the fast current, the full moons. And if you want the whole full moon podcast, I think that dates back to late February or early March at a full moon We have more water at high tide, so you have to work around what is that going to do to where we're standing or where we're dropping anchor. Fish, additionally, are going to be more spread out when there's more water, so they're going to be harder to find. Additionally, you can fish at night on a full moon because things are brighter and you may not need a headlamp depending on where you are with ambient light. Fish and the animals that eat them additionally migrate with the moon. So you may encounter certain organisms that are feeding on things like a pololo worm that are hatching with the full moon, full moons historically and traditionally scientifically navigationally cause organisms to be more active at high tides. Water moves in. This is where you want to fish the tidal basin Ohio drive bridge You have a high tide moving water in. Most of my references will be Washington, D.C. If you've seen the Captain America movie, he meets the hawk dude. Their first encounter, I believe, is the Ohio Drive Bridge with the Jefferson Memorial in the background. You want to be fishing down at the bottom of that bridge on an incoming tide. Additionally, incoming tide and high tide, the fish are going to be more spread out. High tide on a salt marsh, they can be spread out anywhere in the plants, in the channels, up the creeks. And fish will move onto flats to eat things when the tide comes in. Fish ride that tidal bulge as it moves upstream. I may or may not have mentioned there are certain tidal bores where you can ride a paddle board for several miles, 20, 30 miles upstream. I believe the most famous one is in France. The fish will move further into estuaries, salt marshes, mangroves, salt ponds, etc. And these are based on where you live. Salt ponds can be anywhere. Salt marshes are going to be in the northern part of the northern hemisphere and the southern part of the southern hemisphere. Equatorially, you're going to find mangroves. So you have the different niche in a different part of the world that have the same effect for nursery conditions for smaller fish and smaller organisms to live. And they get flushed out in that tide. Fish additionally can move up onto the beach to grab things. If you've ever seen the sharks grabbing an albatross or a seal, they're doing that at the high tide. Fish can move up and grab other organisms that live in and around the sand during a high tide that normally they can't access. Now things to remember are you can get stuck on a rock. You can climb out there at low tide tide comes in and you're stuck. You may not be able to get off safely. And when you have the flood tide, these fish are going to swim up onto flooded shorelines. They're going to swim all over the place because now it's time to feed. They've been resting for several hours, waiting for this moment, and that is your opportunity and prime time to target them. When the tide comes in, it's going to loosen things that have accumulated on shore, either from storms, high tides before, et cetera. The higher the tide, the more stuff is going to get washed out. This is going to be detritus from... Branches and leaves and flower parts, maybe mangrove seeds. They could be giant piles of seaweed that were on shore. This is where you get your dead animals are going to start to swirl around in eddies, the dead birds and dead fish. We're always getting down to chain bridge in the morning when people at night have been poaching and eating and just leaving crap all over the place. And I mean that literally literally. Sometimes I have to steer my clients away from piles of human feces. We were walking into a park recently and there were six piles of human feces between the parking lot and the stream, which is maybe 30 to 40 yards. Thank you local anglers for leaving those surprises behind. But all the litter, plastic bags, styrofoam, all of that on a higher tide is going to get picked up and washed out. And it may start swirling around you. Docks may also be underwater. What if I get to the dock to go fishing... When I have a couple hours to myself, which is rarely, and the dock is completely underwater, how am I going to put my boat in when there's no dock? It happens. We will get there, and sometimes the water is three, four feet up above an actual dock. Crazy stuff. I have pictures of these. Maybe I can post if I have time to sit down and do a blog post. Now, slack tide, we mentioned in the title podcast, is that time in between high and low where the water just sits there. There's no movement. It's still water those few minutes between high and low water's not moving fish stop feeding. You want to watch the fish change directions In four mile run on a clear day. You can stand on the bridges and look down and watch the fish, goldfish, carp, bluegill, bass, whatever, whatever fish are holding there. They're going to turn directions on the incoming tide. They're going to face downstream because that's where food and oxygen in the current is they're built to look into the tide into moving water. When the tide goes out, they're facing upstream. Sometimes you'll throw sticks in the water. We'll spit sunflower seeds in. You start seeing those move. That's when you know the tide is starting to change. We usually avoid this time. The water usually high and gross. If we're up a tidal creek, whatever the high tide is at that moment, whatever the water conditions are, flotsam, foam, pollen, debris, litter that all comes up in the high tide and then that will slowly flush itself out with the outgoing tide after the slack. We usually try to avoid that time. Just it's not fishable. We're fishing usually two hours on either side of the tide because that's when it's safe enough. And we'll get into that in a bit. So an outgoing tide, my example here for tidal Potomac fly rotters, our famous fishing spot is Gravelly point. It's the base of national airport across the river from D.C., and it's just below the Pentagon. So some people don't know this. The Pentagon is not in Washington, D.C. It's in Arlington, Virginia, and they always have that mistaken in movies. There are certain movies that just don't make sense. Salt with Angelina Jolie, horrible directions. If you watched, is it Tom Clancy? What's the movie with the kid from The Office? It's on Amazon, and he's riding his bike by the Capitol, and then the World War I monument. And then all of a sudden, he's at the CIA, 16 miles upriver on the other side of the river where there's no bike access. Didn't make any sense. I digress. So the dynamics of streams, there are dynamics of a stream that change throughout the dropping of the water. At Gravelly Point, when the outgoing tide starts to move, it goes straight downstream and a little bit south. The south side has a nice pile or sandbar gravel bar that as the tide drops, the waters can move to the left and go around that. So fish and their holding spots will change based on an outgoing tide. The water itself will shift directions when the water drops and it starts encountering substrate. It may start to change the flow of the water at gravelly point. You get waves about three, three and a half hours into the low tide as the tide drops. It's six feet, seven feet deep. It's flat. And then it gets faster and then it starts dropping. And all of a sudden it starts making these sine waves because it's finally low enough that the substrate is counteracting the current and moving the water. Then again, are there even fish there waiting? Sometimes you can go to gravelly point or other spots and fish don't materialize. They're somewhere else that day. So you can be waiting at a spot in perfect conditions and nothing's really there based on whatever reason the fish have additionally on that moving tide. That's when the SAVs, the subaquatic vegetation starts to move. You're going to get huge mats of Elodia and hydrilla that have broken off. This is usually late September, early October on our tidal creeks and those mats will break off and start moving and you'll get your fly caught in them and hung up. You'll get driftwood logs, plastic bags. If you've ever hooked a plastic bag on a moving tide, it could break a rod. You never know what kind of rubbish you'll see coolers moving through Gravelly point piece two by fours tires, whatever. So you can get hung up and caught on things that are flowing with that moving tide. And additionally on all those rocks on the bottom, as the tide drops, your fly is going to encounter things on the bottom. We'll get into that more in a bit. So now the tide has been moving for A good four hours, we'll say. Where are the fish going to go? Is it deep enough that they can safely feed and navigate that water without getting stuck when the tide completely drops and or being exposed to birds? When it's more shallow, they're more vulnerable. Rocks are now exposed to stand on, but they may be very slippery. Rocks that are exposed upriver in a drought, they're going to dry off and be nice and safe to navigate. But a rock in a tidal area is going to be slippery. This is why you wear cleats when you walk onto jetties. Water goes up and down twice a day, so it's exposed to dry air, but the organisms that live on it don't die. They've evolved to be exposed to the air. So it's going to be slimy and slippery. There's going to be a, a slick film on it. So be very careful when you're walking along rocks. When the tide drops, we are able to safely wade and access more spots. Or we can navigate the boat around to fish different areas. Sometimes you just have to skedaddle and get out of there. There's no time. It's like watching a thunderstorm coming, which was last Friday. You got to get out of there. This also allows shorter people to fish. Maybe you've got kids that want to learn a specific spot. You can't take them there at the change of high tide. You have to wait till it safely drops enough to navigate or be able to walk in there. You also get rocks and tree stumps are now exposed and you can find lost lures and flies and whatever else has got caught on them. Additionally. And how many times have I said additionally today? It's been a long day and I have to go finish this soon because I got to start making my Dishoom Ruby red curry on the Traeger. So things are going to get more exposed and this is when you can go play around and navigate. We've been going to beaches around the Potomac and the Chesapeake Bay recently going on fossil hunts. And some of the scallops exposed at low tide, I think, are about five million years old. And one of the cliffs that was exposed at low tide, I thought there was a piece of broken glass in it. Turns out to be about a one inch long either great white or Mako shark tooth. Things get exposed. This is when you can go beach combing. When the tide drops and all those late summer weeds, August time, get really concentrated and dense, you can get stuck. There's not enough water for you to run a motor through and you can't row through it because it's solid. So you either have to find a channel and stick with it as the tide drops or just be prepared to be stuck until the tide changes and comes back in. You also have that with spatter dock and lily pads. I'll take my boat way back in there because the way it floats, I can go back into the lily pads, even at a lower tide and fish where bass boats and other boats can't get to, just the nature of my stealth craft. But you can't be back in there and get stuck. It'll happen. And trying to row a boat through spatter dock or hydrilla and milfoil when the tide is out is one of the most exhausting things you can have. Your oars will actually start to bend when you're trying to row through that. Your boats can also get stuck on rocks. There may be an exposed rock only at low tide that you don't know about. So what if you take your boat up to a spot, you fish for a couple hours, and then you decide to pull anchor and go out, but the whole time there was a big rock under your boat, and now you're spinning in circles. If you have an aluminum drift boat, you know what I'm talking about. You get stuck and you spin. A boat can also hit things. There are spots where there's rebar sticking out of the water, tree stumps, rocks. Uh, There's actual piles of old ballast in the Potomac River where people just dropped Rocks and boulders. There are shipwrecks. There's all sorts of things that you don't know about until the tide drops and you see them. Try going around Marbury Point at Blue Plains on the Potomac at low tide. There is so much stuff sticking out of that water at low tide that you will never see in a high tide. It is very dangerous.
0: Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal develop high-quality, technically sound products, and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with Superfast Shipping, MidwayUSA.com.
1: On a super windy day, I mentioned this earlier. That tide just gets blown out. The wind will physically blow the water out of a tidal channel or creek. Think about it when you go to a car wash and they use that high power jet to blow the water off your car or use a leaf blower to clean off a tennis court. Same thing. Water would be blown out. All the organisms are gone. There's no fish. You have to know that before you take a client out. Otherwise, what are you going to do with your client is kick sand for five hours. You can't do that. Never get your feet stuck in mud at low tide. We had an angler drown at Pohick Bay about eight, nine years ago. And if you remember an old Seth Green movie, remember I went to camp with Seth Green. So we watched a lot of Seth Green movies growing up. (laughs) My daughter had just watched Can't Buy Me Love the other night for the second time. Big fan of that movie. There's a movie called Exile. And similar to Lord of the Flies where a bunch of high school kids get stranded on an island. Well, this one kid goes out during low tide to try and spear some fish and he's walking and a, a coral piece falls on his foot and he gets trapped and the tide comes in and he drowns. It's a pretty horrific way to die. It happens. This is no joke on an incoming tide. You do not want to be out there where water will come in and kill you. It happens all the time. And the last thing I want to mention on a low tide is fish can get stuck in tide pools. There was a catfish in four mile run about, 22, 26 inches long in that range. Big old catfish. And we're walking upstream and we're fishing, casting along the riprap. And I just see this big tail flopping around. And I go and look. And sure enough, this catfish was head down in between riprap boulders, completely dry, still alive at the moment. And the problem getting it out was the peck fins have those big barbules on them. And they were kind of stuck, as barbs do, in the rocks. So we finally got the fish out and put it back in and it revived itself and swam away. So you never know what's going to get stuck up there as the tide drops. Hopefully it's not you. So I mentioned the wind blowing the tide out wind blows water out of tidal creeks and will leave them dry. There's no fish in there. You can't fish them. You have to wait. There was a major windstorm. When I went up to the Lancaster show about two years ago, where all the water in the tidal Potomac got blown out, you could i have almost walked from Virginia to DC as if Moses had parted the water and people went out there exploring and found all sorts of crazy stuff. And I really wish I'd been there to do that. That would have been a cool day. Imagine being able to walk around the tidal basin and look in there to actually see the structure of what you've been fishing. You can see what to avoid, see where the fish will hang out, etc. Kind of want that to happen again. Just don't want the destruction, the loss of power. And my neighbor, Tigger and Rug, their house to get broken. Tree fell down and split their house. So when there's windy, are my clients going to be able to cast in that wind? There are times where we have to watch for falling branches in windstorms. Normally, we hear the vultures breaking dead branches off all the time. That happens when there's no wind. But when it's windy, trees can fall down and full-on branches can fall down. Power lines fall down. It can be dangerous. You also cannot see through the water when it's windy and choppy. My sight casting abilities are gone. Waves will kick up. And again, that makes the boat rock. It makes your flies not float naturally. The fish probably can't see them in all that chop. So what are you going to do? Wind also gets in your eyes. It'll make your eyes water. When it's cold and windy, your nose starts to run. The boat will get blown around. On a windy day, which I really get stressed out about when I have a client that gets a big snag in their rod and we're on a lake or fishing on a tidal creek and I have to put those oars down and I can't drop the anchor. That boat may blow a hundred feet off course. It may blow into the woods. So I always have to ask if my clients are okay with spiders because there's spiders in all the branches that hang over the rivers spider webs. There may be snakes in those branches. I've had some very stressful days where we may blow up and close into someone's personal boat that's docked. We're fishing around marinas and personal watercraft. It's not fun for me. Also, I don't want my boat to get dinged up. That's all I have to say on that matter. I'm sure I have more, but that's what I have today. So moving tides. Fish are going to hang out where the water rushes back and forth with the tide. I need to predict when that water will move, at what time, and what is the best window for me to meet clients. They say I've got three hours on Thursday. What's my best time? And we're fishing this coming Wednesday in the evening. High tide is at five o'clock. We're putting in at 3:30. This is my client who caught a snakehead, who gets a case of beer, which I don't think he wants, and a free guided trip. So we're going to go out to a spot that going to have a nice tide we can ride up a creek we can fish and be off the water and home for dinner i could put a brisket on the traeger before we go out in the afternoon as i'm getting the boat ready and then come home and have brisket for dinner so i need to predict that optimal time and that comes with experience it's the only way i can explain it fish will wait in the deep water for tides to feed hopefully they're there they might not be and as that food gets moved in the tide those small objects go- pulled out, the small fish start moving, the big fish start moving. We used to fish the Kent Narrows all the time at night. In the dark, on the shadow line of overpasses and streetlights. And at slack tide, nothing's going on. But when that tide moves, it starts moving the organisms. And that's when it looks like it's raining baseballs. When the stripers are popping bait and bait fish at the surface. It's one of the coolest things. In my 20s were straight up just out there on Fridays and Saturdays. All the time. We'd close up Orvis on Friday at 10 o'clock, drive out there, fish till four in the morning, come home, get two hours of sleep, open up the shop. And those tired, exhausted days were always the best sale days. You'd sell the most rods and waders and reels on the days you were doing the worst. Coastal floods. These may not be something you encounter, but it happens here and it catches you by surprise more often than it doesn't. These are things that I can look at my phone and there's nothing, nothing. I look at my phone an hour later, coastal flood advisory till 3.35 p.m. on Tuesday. Water expect to be higher than normal. So if you get a full moon and a high tide, you can get a coastal flood. You can get a massive system of low pressure off the coast that pushes down on that water and forces it up the river, up the tidal creeks, and you can have sidewalks and streets underwater. Think about Venice underwater. Think about the tidal basin and all the surrounding areas that need to have seawalls rebuilt because the water's getting higher and there's more storms. They're pushing down on that water and flooding things. Heavy rainfall will also create more floods. Imagine having a certain moon plus a high tide plus a specific wind after a heavy rain event. You're asking for all sorts of craziness and the wind can move that water on shore. As I mentioned, if the wind's coming from the West and blowing East, it'll push it right up into DC. That wind will also push bait fish up against the seawalls, And it also may push more flotsam and foam and whatever else. That's where you're going to find your plastic lighters, your jewel pods, your tampon dispensers, bottle caps, pen caps, straws, and those plastic toothpick cleaner things. Most common things I find in the river. It's harder to wade when there's a coastal flood, especially if you don't know if one is coming. If it surprises you, it's not fun. It'll take longer for the tide to start to move because there's just more water there. Fish can eat things that also live on shore, not just that get blown there by the current. So if it goes up onto land, the fish can start eating beetles, ants, worms, whatever organisms live in that tidal area. It could be crabs along a beach, Whatever lives there that is now underwater is now part of the food chain. It's the best time for carp feeding, too, because they're eating all that stuff. Carp love a good flood to spawn. And I sent Clemens to a spot not too long ago. He just caught some nice snook. I don't know where he is. But I sent Clemens out, and he got some carp and snakehead on a high tide after a flood in a marsh when they were spawning. And again, it's more common now with climate change. There's more water in the oceans. There's more water in the Bay and it's coming up. There's more storms right now. We can have a storm off the Atlantic coast that will still affect us inland all the way here in DC. Remember all the cities on the East coast are built on the flood, uh, not the flood line, the fall line for commerce where they could bring things in and out on ships. Tide will go further up the creeks to places that you didn't even know the tide would affect. Four-mile run, it could go all the way up Glebe Road, way past Giant, all the way up to the Maserati dealership. And then the tide will go over the banks, up onto land. It could affect cars. Old Town Alexandria gets flooded constantly now. You always have to have sandbags. Those restaurants and businesses that are still open after Corona, it's one of the things they always have to deal with down there. Let's talk about flies before we finish this off. I'm not too particular about the flies we throw at the mouths of tidal creeks when that current is flowing out. Clousers or a shad jig, snow white damsel dropper. It's pretty darn simple. You can also use worms or crabs, whatever you want in a tidal situation at the creek where things are getting flushed out. I'm going to mostly fish a light blue. I believe it's Kingfisher blue. And white clouser, about four and a half inches long with this nice silvery flash in the middle. Just plain dumbbell lead eyes. I might use olive and white, maybe chartreuse and white, and then a chartreuse snow white damsel. Coastal saltwater at the beach, I'm going to fish small bait fish and shrimp patterns. And I'm also going to fish crabs and worms. Anything that may live in that salt marsh or estuary that can't fight the tidal current and get sucked out be prepared to lose flies in these situations. These are some aggressive shorelines and places where things are in flux with tides. Stuff comes and goes, logs and trees. They come and go and get deposited with so one day there may be nothing there. You come back a week later and there's a log underwater that floated in and got stuck that you're going to lose your flies on. That's why I tell people, at low tide on a windy day, go explore your fishery. The gear Stripping basket, man. Brendan had his. He did great on the water recently. The guy could cast super far. Stripping baskets just help get your line not from being tangled in rocks and riprap and other things. My fly line's pretty simple. I use a floating line, but it'll get swept away too fast on the moving tide. So I like a sink tip, not too heavy. 250 grain is fine. The heavier the line as the tide drops will cause more detrimental effects. You are going to, Get snagged on substrate. You're going to lose more flies. And it's just going to get sucked down and tangle more easily. I like a short sink tip. 15 feet is perfect for me. 30 is nice and long. Full sink line. Nope, not doing it. Short leader. So when that line hits the water, your fly gets sucked down very quickly. If you're two-handed fishing, throw a floating skagit with a T-line head at the end. And that's about it for my thoughts on my job, if you are curious, what it's like to be a professional guide and having to deal with environmental conditions that are out of your control. I'm going to leave you with this. We've got some cool stories and environmental things hopefully coming up on the podcast. Again, I'm sorry I missed a week or so just because I'm busy and I don't get much time for myself. I am usually free around 8.15 to 8.30 at night when the kid goes to bed, and by then I want to be on the driveway, listening to the tree frogs, having a drink. Please go to my Etsy site. It's linked at Robsnowway.com. I have flies for sale. You can have custom flies made, and I have my logoed canyard. It's a can lanyard, hands-free beer drinking. If you want a white claw, you can put it in there. You want a bud ice, you can put it in there. You want it to shoot, put it in there. If you want a sweetwater can, I highly suggest that. That may come into effect in a couple of podcasts down the road. So that's it for this episode. There may be a road trip next week. Stay tuned for that. I may be driving out to the mountains to do an interview. And we'll see how the rest of the summer goes. You can count my gray hairs on Instagram if I take a picture of myself. My hair has not been cut since New Year's. So I may take a picture. The wife wants it cut. I say no. That's my hair. She has no say in it. That's it for this episode. Thank you. Have fun. Be safe. Have a good July 4th.
0: Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com.
0: life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life.
1: Yeah, baby. 6'8 8 Western. I'll be over there, baby. Right there.
0: Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.